0: In God's Word together, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you approve of us. We thank you that your love for us is not conditioned on our performance or on anything we have or haven't accomplished. Your love for us is as steadfast as your love for Jesus, and it's in him that we come this morning asking for you to speak to us. As your children, we'd like to hear your voice, the voice through all the other voices that sometimes occupy our thoughts and our minds. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to our hearts, each one of us, in a way that only you can, in a way that we can hear it. And so we invite you into this place and into this time. Make our ears attentive to what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read scripture together. Scripture reading comes from uh, Luke 5. So uh, we're actually going to start reading a little earlier so you can get some context. So I'm on page uh, 1,597, and we're gonna begin with Luke chapter four, verse 38, under the heading there that says, Jesus heals many. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one of them each one he healed them. Moreover demons came out of many people shouting you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak Jesus went out to a solitary place The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. left everything, and followed him. Well, it's a privilege to be here with you today, and I want to start off by quoting a movie. And... um, I just got my hair cut, and sometimes when I get my hair cut, people say I look younger, so when I quote this movie, you'll know just how old I am. I'm well over 40. And all you kids sitting here are going to say, what movie is that? And all your older folks are going, well, we didn't watch that movie either, maybe. Maybe. Have any of you ever heard of the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah? Okay. All right, glad to hear it. Well, it's one of my favorites, and uh, my favorite character in there is, of course, Forrest Gump. And why is he so meaningful? and so memorable as a person and as a character? Well, I think it's because of his simplicity. Now, simplicity um, can mean, and this is a bad word I'm about to say, it can mean that you're stupid. That's, that's what it can mean. It means that you're foolish or gullible or ignorant. And Forrest Gump, if you watch the movie, he's all that. I love the when he learns how to run and he's running through town and uh, some of the old men at the barber shop say, that boy's a running fool. I love that line. I love that line from Bubba's mother. What are you, stupid? And he goes, uh, stupid is as stupid does. Love that line. Forrest does an awful lot of stupid things. He pulls his pants down in front of the president to show him a war wound. That's dumb. He jumps off, a sh- off his uh, shrimp boat to meet Lieutenant Dan. That was dumb. He runs across America for no good reason. Not too bright. But not only is Forrest simple in a foolish sense, he's also simple in a single sense. Single, uh, simple can also mean composed of a single element, unmixed, pure, holy, single-minded, single-hearted, not double, straightforward, and Uncomplicated. Forrest does a lot of single-minded things. He simply trusts. He simply does what he's told. <coughs> By Jenny, his, high sc- his, uh, his uh, playmate when he's growing up, she says, run, Forrest, run. And he runs, and he doesn't stop running. By the drill sergeant in the army, go, break down that, yes, drill sergeant. He loves very simply. He's fiercely loyal. He says to Jenny, I will always love you, Jenny. (laughs) To Bubba, he says, Bubba, where are you, Bubba? He runs to find Bubba. And he runs into that same storm of bullets to find and save Lieutenant Dan. And Forrest Gump also keeps his word. He keeps his promises to Jenny. I will always love you, Jenny, and he always does. And he promised Bubba that he would become the shrimp boat captain, and he does. Forrest is simple. He's single-minded. Forrest is a rare person of goodness, and that's what makes his character so lovely. He's a good friend, he's a good soldier, he makes for a good fisherman, He's a good runner, and he's also a good father. And you know what I think Forrest Gump would really be good at? Following Jesus. Because Forrest Gump is simple. And when it comes to following Jesus, it's fairly simple. When Jesus calls and tells us something to do, he wants us to hear his voice and to be simple. He wants us to do what he says. He wants us to follow him. I'm in the middle of a series in, uh, at our church, The Journey, and it's about, called Follow Me. It's about how Jesus makes disciples. And really all we're trying to be about at The Journey is to try to help people to make disciples who make other disciples. That's really what our church is trying to be about. And I want to talk this morning about how Jesus makes disciples of us. And how you can make disciples of other people. And I want to talk about three things. How Jesus selects his followers. How Jesus sifts his followers. And then very quickly at the end, I'm going to tuck in on how Jesus sends his followers. So I usually have PowerPoints and I usually have definitions and all that kind of stuff in there. And fun pictures and all that. And you're missing out on all that. So I'll try to be more entertaining than I normally am. first thing is Jesus, uh, Jesus' process of making disciples involves selection. And now let me read to you a definition of selection. Selection is the action or act of carefully choosing someone or something as being the best or most suitable. It's about choosing someone or something. Now in our egalitarian society, in our inclusive society, we don't like selection. We don't like it because some people get picked and other people don't get picked. And if you've been on sports teams, you know what that's like. To, to get picked, it's great, but to not get picked is very hurtful. And so we're trying to design our society so that everybody gets picked, so that everybody gets included, and that's a good thing. So we don't like the word selection. Well, in our church world, there's a word that we used to use a lot. We don't use it as much anymore because we don't really like the word. It's called Election. Do you know what happens if you take the S off of selection? What do you get? Whoa. Selection is about election. Do you know what election means? I looked it up in the dictionary. Because, of course, I don't even know what it means anymore. Just joking. (laughs) People don't know me very well. i got to smile when I joke. Okay, so what is election? It's the choice by God of individuals. As for a particular work or favor, or for salvation. It's the choice of God of people. God picks people. He picks them for a suitable task, for a task that fits us. Do you remember Abraham in Genesis 12? God picked him, didn't he? He sure did. God picked Abraham to be a part of this whole plan of salvation that we've been caught up into. He was blessed, favored, graced, and the whole world has been blessed through Abraham. He was picked. God picked his own son. He was the most suitable candidate to renew Israel. And through the renewal of Israel, to reach the whole world. To reach us. And then you know what Jesus does when he gets to this earth? And he starts his ministry? He picks people. He elects some. He selects some. And through those people, he reaches out to the whole world. Like it or not, folks, God elects people. Jesus selects people. It's the same thing. It's really hard to accept, isn't it? Is this the way our world works too? Um, We just went through an election not too many months ago, and we chose uh, Justin Trudeau, who I guess on the whole the uh, the country thinks is probably the best leader for us. When we uh, pick our fantasy pools for football, do we pick the most suitable players to be on our team? Well, of course we do. Some of you lead a company, and you have a process whereby you're gonna hire somebody. Do you pick the worst candidates, the least suitable candidates? No, you pick the best one. You pick the most suitable candidate for the job that you have. So why is it so hard when we as consumers love more choices with cereal, We like our choices, but when God picks and chooses, we don't like that. But folks, it's the way God has chosen to work. God works out salvation by choosing a few in order to bless the many. And that's the way he's always worked. And in case you're doubting that, let's look how Jesus, God's son, works in Luke chapter 5. Jesus starts his ministry with a selection of. Process And the images here is about Jesus going fishing. And every good fisherman needs a net. And I don't know if you know what Christians uh, are to use for their net to catch other people, but we don't use a rod and a reel and a hook. That's kind of a bait and switch, right? Like, here's Jesus, gotcha! That's not how we go fishing. How Jesus went fishing, how Christians go fishing, is with a net. That's the way to catch fish, people. We catch people, Jesus caught people, with the gospel. He would throw out his net as he preached with words. And Jesus preached a good news gospel. That good news, the kingdom of God that you've been waiting for, has arrived. And it's arrived in me. And the power to restore your life, and the lives of your family, and the lives of Israel, and the lives of people in this world, has come in me come follow me. That was his net, his good words. But it was also backed up with his good works. Jesus, as we just heard, would heal the demonic from their illness of being oppressed by the devil. He would also send fevers and disease packing with one word from his mouth, He would touch with a hand, he would speak with the words of his mouth, and through words and through works, Jesus would throw a net saying, I am the savior of the world, come and follow me. Well Jesus started to catch an awful lot of people, and he started to get a real big following, and people were amazed, and they crowded around, and he began in the synagogues like a Sunday morning gathering like this, but pretty soon he was pushed out. Um, to speak in open air because he was gaining such a huge following. But even throughout all of the crowd, what we see Jesus doing is that he's looking for just a few people. So let's say we have 500 people here today. If I was Jesus, I would be looking for one person here. Jesus actually was looking for 12 people in total. And we're catching him right at the beginning when he picks his first person to be a part of the 12 that are around him that through him are going to change the world. So he's not just fishing for the crowd, he's fishing for one with the crowd. So let's see how he does that. Um, I'm just going to read, and by the way, I'm using a different translation, but you can follow along in the NIV or you can just listen to what I read. I'm just going to read again from the New Living Translation. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Here Jesus, throwing his net, the net of the gospel. He notices two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. The fishermen were done for the day. They had been fishing all night. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who I'll probably call Peter, same guy, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Well, it's daytime, it's morning, And this is a poor time to catch fish. They used deep water, deep sea fishing nets, and they were washing them, and they had been out all night. Daytime is a terrible time to go fishing. But it's a great time if you're trying to catch a fisherman. Because a fisherman isn't out on the water, he's on the shore washing his nets. And so daytime is prime time if you want to catch a fisherman. And that's what Jesus did was trying to do. So notice what Jesus does. He presses his advantage. He's being pressed by the crowds, and so he decides to reel Peter in. Um, Simon Peter, um, we are introduced to, and that's why I read that first part of uh, Luke four. Jesus went from synagogue to synagogue, and previous to this he was in Capernaum, and that's where he met Simon Peter. Simon Peter got caught up in Jesus' net. He was preaching in the synagogue, and Peter, we read, was interested. He liked what Jesus had to say. And then uh, Peter invited Jesus over to his house afterward. He wanted to hear more of what Jesus had to say. In the meantime, Peter's uh, mother-in-law was sick, and he got caught again when Jesus not only spoke words, but healed her by laying his hand on her and rebuking her. That uh, fever to go. And so um, Peter, Simon Peter is what uh, is often called a person of peace. Have you ever heard that term before, a person of peace? You have people of peace in your life, and here's how you can tell who you should catch. People of peace are people that like you. Yes, there are people in the world that God uh, will send to you because they like you. You don't have to go uh, try to catch the nastiest person in your neighborhood. If they don't like you, leave them alone. Connect with the person that likes you. That's how you know that they're predisposed to you. Are they open to your message? Do they know that you're a Christian and do they actually like that? Are they responsive to you? And here's how you can tell a person of peace that God has brought into your life. They will actually serve you. You can tell your friends by who helps you move. You can tell your friends by who is anxious to help you in whatever you're trying to do. A person of peace is someone who likes you, who's someone who welcomes you into their home and feeds you, and someone who serves you or comes alongside to help you in your cause. And you've perhaps never thought of this, but that's how Jesus knew who the Father was bringing to him. Peter came up to him after the service and said, I want you to come to my house, and Jesus went, ah. And then he comes over, and he's served, he's fed. And then he responds when Jesus heals his mother. But now Jesus is pressing his advantage a little sooner. He sees Simon Peter again, and he's fishing, he's actually washing the nets. And so uh, uh, Jesus wants to find out if he's a true person of peace. And here's how you can tell if someone is a true person of peace or how you can reel them in. It's through a technique called invitation and challenge. Maybe you've heard of that. But this is how Jesus catches people. He catches Peter first through invitation. He steps onto the boat and he says to Peter, Do you mind if I use your boat? Do you mind if I use your boat for my cause? And Peter says... Well, we don't need them all day. I guess so. Go ahead, use the boat. Jesus asks Peter or invites Peter to become part of his mission, a part of his cause. Peter may have been having a bad day. He had a bad night. And he could have said, whatever. Go find your own boat. I'm not using, you're not using my boat. But Peter is predisposed, he's open to Jesus. And so through invitation, Jesus furthers the relationship and he says, serve me, Peter. Serve my cause. And Peter says, okay, sure. Well, let's stop there for a moment. And uh, let me ask you this question. How do you know if you've been selected? By God. How do you know if you've been elected to be a part of Jesus' cause? Let me ask you are you a person of peace to Jesus? Do you like him? Do you like him? Are you open to his message and whatever he has to say to you? Are you willing to hear it? And even more importantly, when Jesus asks to come aboard into your life and to use your stuff, what are you willing to say? Jesus, everything that I have is yours. Use my business. Use my life. Are you a person of peace to Jesus? Then you're probably elect. But you know how you can really know whether you're a person of peace, whether you've been selected or elected by God? is when he comes, like even this morning, and he's casting his net even as I speak, you are responding inside. There is a part of you that is stirring inside. You are responding in your heart, soul, mind, and with your strength. All you need to do is prove that you're elect is to respond when Jesus calls, and he's calling right now. He's calling with invitation. This morning, he's saying to you, you are my loved children. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are my family. And I want you to serve my purposes. I know that you like me, but can we catch people together? Jesus wants you to know that before you catch anyone into the kingdom, he loves you. You don't have to do anything to perform well to prove anything. He simply invites you in. How many of you are responding right now to that invitation call as Jesus is calling to you again through the scriptures and even through the words that I'm speaking? He's calling you. Are you responsive? That's how you know if you're selected. If you say yes, if you say come aboard, Well, let's move on. Um, If you've been selected, congratulations. If you consider yourself a Christian, then I'll say yes, you are elect. But I have um, some good news that's also a bit of bad news, and that is that if you get selected, you also get sifted. And so let's look at how Jesus sifts his disciples. Well, I looked up the word sifting and this is what it says. Sifting is the process of separating or removing something by use of a sifter or a sieve. I made bricks in Africa once and there was all kinds of chaff in it and we had to um, sift the sand to make it pure before we made our bricks. That's what we're talking about here. Or there's another definition though, to go through something very carefully in order to find something of use or value. Think of... Yourself being sifted by God. God rummaging through your life to find something of value that he can use. Well, if you don't like that word, because it's not a very religious word, is it? I have a better word for you if you're religious. Um, it's called sanctify. So here's a word um, to make holy. To set apart as sacred. Consecrate. Number two is to purify or to free from Sin. Or this one I like, to make productive or conducive to spiritual blessing. So Jesus is setting you and I apart. He's setting us apart for a purpose. But he wants to separate the wheat from the chaff in our lives. There's a refining process that if he's going to call us and use us, then he has to be able to sift us and to separate out the sin in our lives and keep what is valuable and useful. He wants to finally make us productive. He wants to make us a blessing to others. So Peter is being sifted by Jesus in this act. And how does Jesus sift people? Well, do you remember I talked about the fact that Jesus invites people into relationship? That's one technique. The other way you catch people is by challenging them. By challenging them to change. To take a step of faith or to do something different that they haven't done before. And so I want to see how Jesus challenges Peter. Let me read for you um, from Luke chapter uh, 5 again. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he challenges him. Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master... Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time the nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought the other partners in the other boats, and soon the boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. What I find very interesting here is that Jesus challenges Peter at the point of his strength. Let me ask you for a moment, what are you good at? What is your area of expertise? Um, mine, and that's arguable, and you can talk about that as preaching, <laughs> but um, I also learned how to do drywall and stuff over the last few years, and I'm getting better at that too. And um, what's your, what are you good at? I know some of you um, hang eavesdrop, right? Yeah. And uh, I bet you some of you are into construction, I know that. Um, what, but there's a lot of you that are into retail, um, you make things. You're good at things. Well, I want you to notice what Jesus does is he tests Peter to submit and to obey him, not at the point of his weakness, but at the very point of his expertise and strength. So now imagine that Jesus would come to you in your business. Let's imagine that you're a fisherman. And he says, I know that you didn't catch anything all night, but now I want you to listen to me and I want you to go back out, take those deep sea nets and put them down. And you know that you know that you know that you don't catch fish in the daytime. You don't catch them with nets. And Jesus doesn't know jack about fishing. He's a preacher. Now Peter is challenged by Jesus' words to submit himself to Jesus' authority. And this is a critical test because if he can't trust Jesus and simply obey him like Forrest Gump would, then he's not capable of doing what Jesus needs him to do. So Jesus asks him to do the impossible, to do the stupid thing. This is dumb. And he goes out and they catch this massive amount of fish. Apparently, Jesus knows something about fishing after all. But I want you to notice what Jesus has just done. He's caught a fisherman at his own game, using his own expertise against him. Well, I thought, I said something about sifting. So let's see how Jesus sifts him. How does Jesus refine Peter? Let me just read on a little more. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Well, we can tell by Peter's response that he's not so simple after all. Do you know what something simple is? Is when um, there's nothing mixed up in it. It's pure and holy. If you were simple, you would respond to Jesus' voice with pure faith and obedience every time. You would not resist his Holy Spirit. You would do exactly what he says when he says it, if you were simple. But you're not so simple, and neither am I. We are actually double. We're duplicitous. We're divided. We're mixed up. We're impure. Someone who is not mixed up responds with faith, and someone who has a mix of purity with impurity, responds to the presence of God with one telltale sign, fear. When the closer God comes to people who are mixed in their motives and mixed in their heart, the response is fear. And that's why Peter falls to the ground and says, get away from me, leave me alone. I don't want you to challenge me. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Well, how do you know if you're being sifted? Well, let me tell you this. If you want to serve God's purposes in your life, and if you want to follow that path, if you've been selected, then you will be sifted. He's going to invite you to come closer. And if you respond to his invitation to come into closer relationship with Jesus, he is going to see into your life and he is going to expose your sin. And you're going to feel ashamed. Because he wants to heal you of whatever's troubled you. Invitation. But he's also going to challenge you to try some new things. To do things you've never done before. To take steps of faith. And that's also going to test you. And do you know what the major response of that? How you know if you're being sifted if you feel fear. Fear is an alarm system that tells us when something could be um, hurting us or damaging us. And when Jesus comes close, the closer his Holy Spirit comes, we feel afraid. And you know what we especially feel afraid of? Is when he presses on our identity. Father, uh, Jesus, you want me to do what? But I'm no good at that. I don't know how to do that. I'm not worthy of doing that. It presses on our identity. So maybe some of you are being sifted. Jesus is calling you to do something, and you don't want to do it. Do you know what every one of us is called to do if we're followers of Jesus? We're called to do what Jesus is inviting Peter to do, which is to catch people for God. And there's nothing that strikes fear into the hearts of people than to try to catch someone else for Jesus. Has any of you ever caught someone? Caught someone with the good news of the gospel? Well, it scares people. Some of us are afraid of um, making friends that aren't Christians. We're afraid of that. Because what would happen if they got close to us and discovered that we're Christians but we're not perfect? That'd be scary. What if they actually started believing what we believed? We would have to disciple them. We would have to teach them from our own lives how to follow Jesus, and then they'd find out how lousy we are at it. (laughs) Oh no! Jesus, stay away from me! Don't ask me to catch someone for you. Don't ask me to make friends. What if they start following me? The thing we're most afraid of is doing the very thing that we are called to do which is to catch people into the kingdom with our lives, with our good words, and with our good works. And it's something we're incredibly afraid of. Why are we afraid of that? Because it might change our social lives. It might change our priorities. It might change our social circles. Can you imagine how afraid Peter was when all of a sudden he finds that he's got his nets so full of fish do you know what he realizes in that moment? My life is going to change forever because of this guy. And I have no idea what it, where it's going to take me. But look at this. My life is going to change. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he is going to sift us and sanctify us because he has a purpose for us. Because he wants to send us. If you're being sifted right now, if you're being sanctified, if Jesus is inviting you to do something that you're terrified to do, then you have a choice of being simple, responding in simple faith, or responding with resistance that comes from fear. And I invite you just to pull a forest. Just do it. Because Jesus is calling you to. Well, I'm just about done, and you're probably glad about that. <laughs> the last thing is sending. Jesus selects us, then throughout our whole lives, he's going to sift us. But finally, he wants to send us. What is sending? I looked this up too. It's the process of causing someone to go with a certain message or on a certain mission. Jesus doesn't condemn Peter because he feels unworthy. He doesn't disqualify him and say, yeah, you're a fisherman, but you'll never, you will never—you could never catch anybody. You can't even follow me very well. You are unworthy. You are sinful. He doesn't disqualify him. He offers him invitation and challenge in once. This is what he says. Jesus replied to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything, all three of them, and followed Jesus. Invitation, don't be afraid. I am going to fish with you. I do the catching. You come along to help pull the net. Don't be afraid, come with me. Challenge, from now on you are going to learn how to catch people. As I conclude, do you know what Jesus wants? He wants us to come into his boat. And do you know what that boat is called? It's called followership. <laughs> <laughs> it's called discipleship. It means that you get to become like him and you get to learn how to do everything that he did. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And the main thing that Jesus did is catch people into the love and power of the kingdom of God. And that's why he elected you, and that's why he's sifting you, and that's why he's calling you. At The Journey, um, we're figuring out how to make disciples because, truth be told, we're not very good at it. I know that's scandalous because church plants are supposed to know how, but we're already 10 years old. But I'm not sure that any church is very good at making disciples, catching people for Jesus. So we're all learning again how to do what Jesus said that we would learn how to do. And I'm going to pray for you that what this church is about and that what you will experience is the joy of catching people with Jesus. I moved here five years ago to uh, become part of the journey, and I'm happy to tell you that I've caught five people, only one a year, that's pretty lousy. But that's five more than I ever caught all the 10 years before. And it is exhilarating, and I've never been sifted like I have been here. And now I'm trying to teach other people how to do it. People who don't know how to do it either. Jesus will teach you how to do it too. Let's pray. Jesus, you are calling us. You have chosen us. We are the few in Kitchener-Waterloo. And you called us to catch the many with your gospel and good news. And we confess that we perhaps don't know how to do that or have never done that yet. But there are people, even this morning, that you are awakening in them a desire to do that very thing. And so I bless this community in your name to catch people together into your love and grace, forgiveness and power. So speak to each one of us this morning and move us forward in faith and take away the fear. Or if you don't take it away, help us to walk into it, knowing that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.